Let's go to America and talk to LBC's US correspondent, Simon Marks. Hello, Simon. Evening, Nick. Now, uh, let's begin with uh, Ukraine, because Joe Biden has promised an enormous uh, package of funding and assistance to Ukraine. It's being held up, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Uh, Joe Biden telling President Volodymyr Zelensky over the weekend not to worry. The $60 billion in promised additional military aid uh, should be considered money in the bank uh, by Ukraine. But there is the uh, not-so-small matter that uh, it currently lacks sufficient sufficient support in Congress to pass. And uh, there's going to be absolutely no action on this issue for at least the next fortnight, because on Friday night, uh, the House of Representatives went into recess. They won't be here for the next two weeks. And then when they come back, they will just have three days available to them to avert, you guessed it, another government shutdown. So the chance (laughs) of aid for Ukraine and Israel uh, being top of mind, I think, is highly unlikely during that first three days of their grand return to Washington, D.C. I mean, Joe Biden says it is absurd, in his view, that the United States would pull the rug out from beneath uh, Ukraine and its armed forces at the point where they're beginning to ration ammunition, their supplies are running dry. We saw them uh, retreat from one town where they'd been trying to push the Russians back uh, over the course of the last several weeks, and they cited uh, the failure of Congress to come through with the money as one of the reasons that contributed to that military withdrawal. Uh, President Biden very much much exuding optimism, but it's hard to see where that optimism comes from. I mean, on the one hand, you know that the Senate has already passed this uh, this financial aid package and 22 Republicans in the Senate defied Donald Trump's opposition to the package of funding and voted to back it. Now, if it did get put to a vote in the House of Representatives, it would pass because Democrats and moderate Republicans would come together and form a majority to bring it across the finishing line. But for it to be put to a vote, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Mike Johnson, would essentially be signing his own death warrant because the far-right MAGA supporters in the House of Representatives, implacably opposed to sending any more money uh, to Ukraine, would immediately threaten to oust him in exactly the same way as they defenestrated Kevin McCarthy last year. And then we'd be back into this awful cycle of the Republicans trying to find a compromise candidate who could serve as Speaker of the House of Representatives. Uh, Joe Biden appears to be banking on Mike Johnson concluding that for the good of, of, of uh, geopolitics, he's got to put this thing to a vote. But he's only going to do it if he can find a way of withstanding the threat that he would then face to his job. And that looks like it's going to be a pretty complicated dance that takes place over the next several weeks. So is this just politicking on behalf on behalf of uh, m- many Republicans? Are they saying no just because Biden says yes? No, there's a real division within the Republican Party. I mean, as you know, there's, there's, no, there's no monolithic Republican Party anymore. The Trump r- wing of the Republican Party says no more money for Ukraine. Uh, and they do that partly because they just don't care about Ukraine. They don't see that there's a crucial national security interest for the United States in the conflict. And they argue that instead, uh, the money and the attention should be focused on immigration 
and the crisis on America's southern border. That's one of the reasons why the funding has been held up, because they were trying to force the hand of the White House on immigration. And indeed, they did force the hand of the White House on immigration. And a deal was done that was going to secure the release of this funding for Ukraine. But then Donald Trump torpedoed it because he doesn't want the situation on the southern border to improve because if it improves it will be less of a potent election issue that might uh, help him ride to victory in November so that all fell apart that then caused a further delay and there just aren't enough moderates uh, within the House of Representatives in the Republican caucus uh, willing to stand up to Donald Trump for the Speaker of the House of Representatives uh, to think that he can he can automatically you know get this through uh, without incurring the wrath of the man who is about to become the party's presidential election standard bearer. So it is very problematic and Mr Johnson behind the scenes is trying to find a way to thread the needle. He asked for a meeting with uh, Joe Biden at the White House this week multiple times and the White House said no, there's no point, we have nothing to negotiate you know what we want to do, there's nothing more to talk about, you've just got to go away and figure out how you're going to get this through uh, the House of Representatives, presumably in a way that doesn't plunge it into yet another crisis over uh, over the speakership. And uh, am I imagining it, or is there a, a certain um, love for Russia among the uh, well, certain factions of the Republican Party? Well, there's certainly not much of a willingness to stand up to Russia. I mean, we saw a a Trump surrogate, Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio, much beloved by Donald Trump, uh, who went to the Munich Security Conference over the weekend, that event in Germany that was attended by Vice President Kamala Harris, Anthony Blinken, Lord Cameron, and all the rest of them. And he not only refused to meet the Ukrainian delegation, but told reporters that in eventual peace talks, Ukraine is simply going to have to cede territory uh, to the Russians. It's the only way all of this could end. He did acknowledge that he thought that Putin was brutal and that the end of Alexei Navalny in that prison in the Arctic uh, uh, late last week was an example of his brutality. But he was essentially shrugging his shoulders and saying, but he's been brutal for a very long time. I mean, what are we going to do about that? You know, Um, and of course, you know, there are voices within the Republican Party who are avowedly pro-Russia. And we saw a a very clear example of that this week with some of the fresh video that uh, former Fox News presenter Tucker Carlson released from his propaganda visit to the Russian capital, which included an extraordinary series of scenes of him in a Russian supermarket extolling the range of food and the prices that were on display, even though, of course, he uh, made absolutely no concession for the much lower uh, average rates of pay in Russia than exist uh, in comfortable, affluent northwest Washington, where he normally resides. So there are voices that are much more avowedly pro-Russian. And then there are Trump supporters like J.D. Vance who say, yeah, well, he's always been brutal. I mean, we've just got to live with that. And uh, the Ukrainians need to give up territory. And all of that, of course, emboldens Putin, who looks at the polls here and thinks, well, I just got to I've just got to wait it out because next January, Donald Trump will be back in the White House and then I can get everything I want out of Ukraine because there will be no more aid flowing. And the American, the new American American administration will be telling Zelensky, come on, got to got to make We've got to come to peace terms now and you've got to give up territory. It's a pretty odd place for the party of Ronald Reagan 
Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this absolutely. wall. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely unthinkable. But that's where the party has gone. And they've gone so far in that direction that Nikki Haley, the remaining candidate trying to stop Trump from becoming the presidential candidate, um, is is completely adrift because her message is, which is that uh, Russia is a threat, is, you know, this is the week when we learned that Russia may be developing a nuclear-powered weapon in space. It's not hard to make the argument that Russia is a potential threat to America's national security, but she is completely out of tune with what I suppose one would now have to consider mainstream Republican thought. What bizarre times we live in. And um, we have mentioned uh, the uh, Tangerine Tornado, so um, let's talk about his week because it's not, uh, his uh, finances aren't getting any better, are they? Well, he's in deep, deep trouble now. This after the judgment on Friday uh, in New York uh, that Donald Trump uh, has to pay $450 million in restitution as a result of that civil lawsuit that found him guilty of over-inflating the value of his assets in order to secure loans at favourable terms. He himself has been banned from having anything to do with businesses in New York for three years. His two sons have been banned for two years. Uh, there's an independent monitor uh, who's already been attached to the Trump organization at a cost, I think, of two and a half million dollars so far, uh, who is now going to remain in place. She's essentially uh, a watchdog to make sure that they don't do anything wrong again in the future. There's one of they two, no? Uh, say, say that again? There's one of two. There's yes, two. I think that's right. right. Yes, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big uh, monitoring job uh, designed to watch out for any further examples of fraud. Um, they're going to appeal. Uh, in the next 30 days, Donald Trump either has to come up with $450 uh, million to pay uh, or he's got to come up with a bond guaranteeing the payment. And I think the bond is north of uh, $30 million. Uh, and on top of that, he's already got an $83 million judgment against him uh, in the case that was brought by the writer Eugene Carroll mm. uh, claiming sexual assault and then defamation by Donald Trump. So these numbers are now seismic and uh, observers who understand the Trump organization's business and Donald Trump's uh, money think that you know this will absolutely wipe out the cash in hand that he's got were he suddenly to have to pay that kind of money in restitution it won't happen immediately the appeals process will lumber on uh, but ultimately it's highly likely that the day's going to dawn when he's got to write a large check Really, though? Because uh, won't the appeal go to the Supreme Court? It could, right. yes, um, but ultimately. He's, he's, he's packed the Supreme Court with people who are um, obliged to him for their position, so they're just going to let him off, aren't they? Well, I'm not sure that that's the case, because, uh, I mean, this is a civil trial, it's not a criminal matter. And the Supreme Court may take the view that this case was brought by the Attorney General of New York. It's a state's issue, and it's not necessarily something that they would take on. Now, it's possible uh, that there would be a, a positive outcome at some point during the appeals process for Donald Trump. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, remember that the legal argument that he advanced in this trial, in this, in this lawsuit 
was that there were no victims here. Uh, even if he'd overinflated the value of his assets, the banks had engaged in their own due diligence, the banks had happily loaned him the money, and he'd paid every penny of the money back. Well, that certainly didn't sway Judge Arthur Ngoron in New York. It might sway some appeal judges, uh, but uh, at the very least, for the foreseeable future, there are going to be huge question marks hanging over the Trump organization and its ability uh, to do business. It's not going to be able to engage in any loan negotiations with any bank that is licensed in New York. So even finding the ready cash to continue operating is going to be quite a challenge. His sons, Uday and Kusay, they, <laughs> they also got fined, didn't they? Yes, they got fined uh, as well uh, and uh, banned from uh, having anything to do with a business in New York for two years, which in the case of Eric Trump, uh, I'm not sure if he's Uday or Kusay, uh, but in the case of Eric Trump, uh, that's going to be slightly problematic because he's the chief executive officer of the Trump organization, which is very much uh, headquartered in New York. He was on Fox News on uh, Friday night insisting that uh, this is why uh, the family has left New York. It's a dreadful place. It's an <laughs> awful place to be doing business. Uh, uh, rampant crime. This was all prosecutorial misconduct by uh, the Attorney General of New York State, Letitia James. But she certainly was serenely confident in the outcome uh, of this all the way through, given, of course, that even before the, the, the most recent uh, legal uh, proceedings began, the judge had, had months ago found them guilty of overinflating their assets. Mm. So it was only really a question of how substantial a penalty he was going to levy. Compared to other people who have been accused of similar crimes, mm. is he being uh, prosecuted overly? Well, they argue, and they have some legitimacy for this, that this is a, a novel effort to use various laws to go after a business that has never been tried in a New York court before. And that's going to be a principal pillar of their appeal, that actually the New York Attorney General, they say, uh, has a vendetta against him mm. uh, and had twisted herself up into a pretzel in order to find some kind of law that she could uh, attach to all of this. And they argue as well, and again, the banks, some of them, have, have testified to this, that this was a victimless crime, because the banks say, well, we did engage in our own due diligence and we were comfortable with the nature of the loans we were making. There's no bank that is feeling particularly aggrieved by uh, the Trump organization's behaviour. So they think they've got solid grounds to appeal, um, but they're going to have to do so and go through that process uh, at a time when they are enjoined from having anything to do with the Trump organization and the Trump organization is going to be very financially strapped. You know what he should be going to prison for is his new gold trainers. <laughs> Without question. Although I had just checked the website before we came on air. Sold out? And if, and if sold out, wow. all of them in all sizes. $400? Uh, $400, and I quote from the website, and I suspect this may not be entirely true, only 1,000 pairs will ever be released. <laughs> now, I did the maths earlier today. He owes $450 million. Mm. These things retail for $400 a pair. He's only got to sell 1,125,000 pairs of these sneakers, and he's home free. And by the way, who knew 
there was a sneaker convention. Did you know that? No, I didn't know. He showed up in Philadelphia while, while Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine was inviting Donald Trump to visit the front lines in the war of Russia. I'll take him to the front lines. Where was the former president of the United States? He was surprising the audience at Sneaker Con, who knew, <laughs> in Philadelphia to launch the sneakers. How perfect is that? Sneaker con. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you couldn't make it up, could you? Have you seen the perfume? <laughs> He's got... The, the great smell of Donald. There's more stuff coming. Victory 47 cologne. This is not available yet. It's only $199 a bottle. It's a crisp opening of citrus blends underpinned by a rich base of leather and amber. And think and, that one through. And then there's a companion perfume as well. Wow. Mm, I, I did look wait. at his website. You, you can wear a hat. These are Donald Trump branded hat, shirt, jumper and shoes, which does rather leave a whole area <laughs> ab above the shoes <laughs> and below the waist that uh, Trump well, fans can improvise. Can't, uh, can't have branded. So. But you know what? You'll be smelling so good after the cologne and the perfume, you'll probably just want to let it rip. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. <laughs> Simon Marks, LBC's US correspondent.